right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Happy Friday. Hey. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, man. It's snowing. It's a good day. It, dude, it is. It was blizzarding earlier. Yeah, crazy. It's blizzarding. Is that, that's a term, I feel like, right? Yeah. It's blizzarding out there. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery today. We are going to be previewing the Kansas TCU game throughout the show. So looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to be joined by Graham Doran, who does bracketology work. You can check it out, grahamdoran.wordpress.com. Uh, he's a KU alum. We had him on a bunch last year, gave excellent work talking college basketball and bracketology. We're going to try to start having him on once a week through the rest of the regular season to kind of keep an eye on uh, that sort of thing with college hoops. So we'll have him on today at 340. Uh, we got some Bill Self audio. We got some player audio. We're going to get to a little Chiefs, game picks, plenty more. So stick around with us here on RCST. Uh, first, we're going to get to our KUTCU preview. And uh, thanks to CBB Analytics for helping us out with some of this. More than 30 D1 coaching staffs use CBB Analytics for opponent scouting. They have all these uh, little color-coded ranks and percentiles. They have a tons of different splits. You can look yeah. at the last five games, last ten, Dude, home and away, on-off splits, lineup splits. I am a four-year-old, so I need color coding. <laughs> it helps. It helps for sure. So uh, first question that we always have here, how important is this game? Well, it's your first conference game, so you obviously want to start conference play feeling pretty good. They won, uh, what, 32 straight? 32 straight, so yep. You, you, yep, you and Brian, feel... Haney, Brian Haney came yesterday told us, you know, oh, well, 26 of them must have been downfield outs. Yeah. Nope, only 13. 13. But you feel like if you're that team, like you don't want to be the one that, that ends that streak. Oh, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of like uh, with the Big 12 title streak. It's it, don't it, be To me, team. it gets to the point where it's like, there's honestly, the pressure is more on just not being the team that, that loses yeah. versus keeping the streak alive. You see what I'm saying? Like, the pressure almost kind of in, is inverse. Uh, so, yeah, obviously it's a significant game. Uh, and it's even more significant, really, from the standpoint of, listen, these boys came into Allen Fieldhouse last season and beat the hell out of you, okay? 23 points. Smoked. 40 minutes of ass whooping, okay? So... You don't want that. You don't want that to happen again. You want you want to get back at these guys a little bit. And listen, a lot of the and Kevin McCuller was here. Dewan Harris was here. Those, I mean, those guys were here. They should remember that. Okay. So hopefully, there's a little extra motivation to to not let that happen again. And then on top of that, you add in the fact that TCU does have a former KU player in Ernest Dewan on the team. So you'd like to send him off with it with an L here at Allen Fieldhouse. So it's definitely an important game. We've kind of touched on the fact that KU's Big Twelve schedule, at least as it would appear to right now seemingly is much more backfilled in terms of the difficulty, which means that you want to pick up wins when you can get them. And also, Bill Self, Bill Self always says, you want to go undefeated at home, and then you, if you win 50% of your road games, you're sitting at 13-5, and 14-4, and four, and that's going to put you in a good chance to win the Big 12 title. So all those things combined together equals this game's pretty important in terms of starting things off right and uh, getting rolling early in conference play. 
Yeah. It's all those things. And and I really do believe that Kansas needs to go probably at least seven and one in these first eight games if you want to win the league. Now that could get readjusted, but I'm kind of entering into this with having another elite team in there with Houston. I almost feel like this is a year that you might have to win those 14 games in conference play to win the league. At the very least, you got to win 13. And so seven and one sets you up in the best situation yeah. to where like like realistically, you might have to if fourteen's the way, you might have to go eight no. Well, and remember, it's not the same as it was before, where it's like you know you go and you lose at Iowa State, and you think in the back of your mind you think, okay, well, we'll get Houston, home. Houston's gonna have to come back and, and play yeah, at true. Iowa State. They could lose, or you know, or or, or or yeah, even more so, you know, you go on the road and play Houston or Baylor. Now, KU gets them both this year, as it turns out, but you know, it could be years where you that doesn't happen, and, and then all of a sudden you've the other team's got a, a leg up on you just that way, right? Mm-hmm. As far as the uh, TCU scouting report, the Big 12, the, the scheduling is not great. Like, when you look at the uh, schedule rankings of Big 12 schools, KU had the toughest non-con schedule, this is according to Ken Palm, of Big 12 schools. Uh, theirs was ranked 57th in the country right now. Houston's at 226. BYU is at 313. Baylor is at 140, so they had a pretty good one. Iowa State's at 344. Oklahoma's at 337. Texas is at 329. TCU's at 345. Texas Tech's at 274. Cincinnati, 304. UCF, 336. Kansas State had a pretty good one. They were at 139. Oklahoma State was at 334. West Virginia had a good one at 79. So that's a lot of low-ranked schedules, and I understand it. where TCU ranks among all those teams. Well, I just read them off. Did you read TCU also? Yes, I read every single team in the Big oh, 12. I didn't hear you say TCU. Yes, uh, TCU, 345th, three, three, right? 345. Yeah, so One I of mean. the bottom 20 worst. Yeah. schedules in the country. Now, a lot of these schools did at least play like one or two marquee games where it was like, hey, we're playing a big game, but then Which, the rest by of the way, kind of crap. TCU lost the Both two of marquee top games, games that yes. they played. 0-2 in those situations. So I don't think we have a full slow or scope of how good this TCU team is. Now, I do understand some of that. Like, I can sort of understand if your team picked in the middle to the bottom of the conference, you probably should do that because, like, think about it. You're about to get bludgeoned in conference play. Uh, with how hard the league is. So yeah. go go get those wins in the non-con if you need them. I, I understand it. But that that does make it harder to diagnose what TCU is because we haven't seen them, you know, have a bunch of those games and, and kind of those dominant wins and everything. But they're 11-2 and to this point. Like you said, 0-2 against top 100 teams. Lost to Clemson and Nevada by a combined uh, 21 points in the two games, both on neutral site. They're only top 200 wins, so between 100 and 200. Arizona State by 20. They're just outside the top 100. Hawaii by 14. They're uh, 135. And then Georgetown by 1. They're 186. So, again, I, I don't know how great this TCU team is. That will be something we learn more in Big 12 play. But I, I, I go back and forth to this. Like, on one hand, you would think, okay, maybe they're not going to be ready for a moment like this because of the schedule. Then again, they blasted you last year in Allen Fieldhouse, so that should give them confidence. Then yeah. again, they have Ernest Duday, who's played in this environment before. And then again, we've seen teams in the past, whether it's been you know Iowa State or Texas Tech under Chris Beard, they would play crappy non-con schedules, rack up wins, and, and yeah, like at times Iowa State would go through losing streaks the last couple of years, but like they were still good enough teams in the Big yeah. 12. So I, I don't know. By the way, have you seen the, what, TCU's first three games in conference? It's uh, KU, Oklahoma, and Houston. Yeah. I mean, that is terrible. That is uh, pretty brutal. Pretty but, brutal. Yeah, I mean, the thing with this TCU team is they're they're very similar to what they were last year, right? Uh, big, yep. tall, athletic, run around, but not necessarily maybe skilled necessarily in the, yeah. from the, in the pure basketball sense. Uh, but they've got 
tons of athletes, and they they truly out athleted you last year at Allenfield House. That's one of the reasons why you lost. Yeah. Now on the flip side, you feel like this iteration of KU is much more athletic than maybe last year's was. So maybe Kansas becomes better equipped to handle sort of the the flurry that TCU could possibly throw at them in terms of their athleticism. But uh, yeah, and when you look at TCU, really strong on the boards, really strong on the boards. That's gonna that could be an issue for Kansas. Uh, and then what are they gonna do matchup wise? I guess because they there's their lineup is gonna feature three or four, six, seven, six, eight guys. Mm-hmm. And if you're KU, you have Kevin McCuller and you have KJ Adams, but then. You've got two little guys with El Marco and, and Dewan. How does that work? Yeah, so it's it's like you said, it's very much like last year. They don't shoot it well. They shoot it very low volume. Three hundred fortieth in the country in the amount of shots they're taking coming from three. They are shooting thirty two point eight percent on threes. That's one hundred ninety seventh in the country. That's actually slightly better than last year, but it's still not great. They do have smaller like lead guards. Avery Anderson six two. Jameer Nelson Jr. six two. Travion Tennyson is 6'3". Tennyson's more of the shooter. Anderson and Nelson will score a good amount. They collectively score like 20 a game, but both are in the mid-20s from three. It's it's like you had with Mike Miles, where you have this like small, smaller guard, but he's very quick. That's what they have with Anderson and Nelson. Yeah. Then it's a bunch of lengthy, athletic wings. Yep. 6'7", Emmanuel Miller, 6'8", Micah Peavy, 6'7", Chuck O'Bannon, 6'8", Jacoby Coles. All those guys are going to play kind of the two through four positions. And then it's it's big guys at the center position, different definitions of big depending who it is. Ernest Uday is just big in every way. He's, what, 6'11", 7 feet tall, 260 pounds, gigantic wingspan. He's yeah. more of the lengthy center. Xavier Cork is more of the thicker center at 6'9", 235. Assam Mustafa, same way, 6'9", 250. So they're big guys in in different kind of forms and fashion. You're right. Really good at rebounding team. 20th in the country offensive rebound rate. 57th in defensive rebound rate. They score inside. It's it's everything you would imagine from a athletic team that doesn't have great shooting. They get to the hole. They play aggressively. They play hard. And that's what this comes down to me. Can you match the physicality if you're KU? It's two things. It's can you match the physicality? And we're going to share some Bill Self audio later in the show. But one of the things he said was, you know, we – we have to turn them into a half-court team oh, on the offensive yeah. side of the ball. TCU is averaging 21.4 fast-break game points per game over the last five games. but then that's even lower than they've been averaging on the season. On the season, they are averaging 25.3 fast-break points per game. KU, who has been a good fast-break team, is averaging over the last five games 14.6, over on the season 12.8. Both so of those numbers... So they've got you doubled up, basically. Yes, and both of those numbers for KU are in the 85th percentile or higher, so it's really good. TCU is in the 100th percentile, meaning they are the best team in the country in transition points per game, 25.3. And I think we saw that when KU won the game in Fort Worth. It was yeah. a lower-scoring game. It was a a kind of grinded-out half-court game that KU had to win ugly. Yeah, That's kind of how I view this game. If, if this game's ugly, if it's a half-court game, if it's a slower game, I think that's good for KU, which is weird because in a lot of other games, you're not saying that. Yeah, it, it does seem like I think for KU, it would be better if this game is played 30 seconds at a time and it's played in the half-court at both ends and really trying to slow down the steam. And the good news, is, well, I guess you can say good news and bad news is that you look at last year, TCU has a blueprint for how they can come in downfield us and win against Kansas. Kansas also has a bunch of tape on how on what not to do <laughs> in order to try to not lose. So it kind of goes both ways. 
right? Uh, I mean, you, you definitely don't want to give TCU a lot of turnovers. You definitely don't want to let them score in transition like you alluded to and, and let them continue to build that up because, to me, it, and we saw this in the last year's meeting, it can really snowball for you, right? One transition point, one transition bucket becomes two, becomes three, and then all of a sudden you're down 10, then you're down 15, then you're down 20, which is what KU was, you know, early in the first half, right? So it can really snowball if you will, if you let that happen and you keep having empty possessions and turning it over and letting TCU get out and able to just run the way that they want to do. So, uh, yeah, both these teams certainly know, I think, what the other team probably wants to do coming into this game. TCU wants to go, go, go. KU's going to want to try to slow things down a little bit and, and play more deliberately in the half court uh, because that's going to be their best way to get Hunter Dickinson involved. If you're TCU, this is a good opportunity, for, uh, if you're TCU, to think of, okay, if we can turn the ramp up the pace of the game, we can run Hunter Dickinson off the court. Yeah, I mean, we can run into where he's not even going to be a, a factor. And that's something Uday did really well at KU last year. He ran the floor very well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. So when you so when Uday's out there, especially I think for TCU, if I'm TCU, that would be my goal, right? Because you can you can run Hunter Dickinson out of the game. You can make it to where he's totally, basically, completely nullified in the game at both ends of the floor, uh, which which I think would be the route to go. Because I don't know, maybe is this. Is this a game where suddenly Parker Brown has a maybe a slightly larger role potentially? I don't know. But the thing that the I will say this though, when it comes to Hunter Dickinson, even if TCU is completely trying to run him off the floor like that, I don't think Bill Self is going to take him off. He he just mm-hmm. he just does too much, right? I mean, he can do too much. He's too valuable. So even if TCU is able to execute a game plan where they can kind of mitigate him, I don't know that it's necessarily going to result in him not being on the floor. Well, could this be a game where we see K.J. Adams as a small ball five for, you know, eight minutes, and maybe Hunter what, plays put, 28 minutes. And you want to put, like, what, Furphy out play, there at the four? Yeah, well, Kevin and, at the four defensively. Oh, yeah, Kevin and then Furphy. Defensively. And then, yeah, Furphy at the three, and then, you know, whatever it is, Timberlake or Marco at the two, Dewan at the one. I don't know. I don't know. Now, Marco is a curious player I'll be keeping on because he is the guy that <laughs> – would seemingly fit in perfectly on TCU, right? Yeah, athletic, <laughs> an athletic, explosive player that wants to run up and down the floor. And we've I've talked about this before, but he can be fearless to a fault in transition, and that concerns me because if you sped up, yeah, he yeah. gets sped up, and then it leads to turnovers, and it could lead to TCU quickly running the other way. So um, I'm a little nervous about that because I think the last thing you want to do if you're KU in this game is try to match TCU in that way, right? If you let T- if TCU is able to turn- get turnovers and get easy buckets, if you're K, you've got to find a way to quickly flush that and go down and say, "Hey, we're just going to keep doing our thing. We're just going to keep playing in the half court and try to be effective in that way." Uh, so I do have some concerns in that area, and that is where I feel like the the leadership of Dewan Harris and Kevin McCullough should come into play. Is hey, listen, you know, if this is our game plan, we got to stick to it. You know, right? I understand maybe you want you you see TCU getting out and maybe getting some easy baskets. We're going to stick with what we're trying to do, uh, and so uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out, but. But yeah, I think TCU, like I said, I think both teams really have an idea here of what their opponent wants to do. And for TCU, yeah. they have a blueprint for what they did last year to get a win. Yeah, and it's just for KU, can you match the physicality? Can you get the rebounds inside? Can you play tough? Can you deal with the athleticism? Can you make it a half-court game? Those are all reasons to, to think TCU can, can make it a game. The other thing that I would point out for something that TCU might have an edge on, KU's been a bad mid-range shooting team. TCU has, weirdly enough, even though they're not a good three-point shooting team, 
TCU has been one of the best mid-range shooting teams in the country so far, and KU gives up one of the highest rate of mid-range shots in the country, which means that typically I think it's because they're probably playing a lot of drop coverage with Hunter Dickinson where you're basically saying, hey, we're going to drop him in, he's going to defend the rim, or we're going to defend from three, and it's going to leave a little bit of an opening for mid-range because most college teams aren't going to be able to take advantage of that and the whole analytic aspect of you know mid-range are worth less or, or less efficient than at the rim or three-point shots. Uh, but maybe this is a matchup where TCU actually can take advantage of that. Where do you feel like KU has maybe the biggest edge in this game? I think they have probably the biggest edge. I, I don't know. Normally you'd say uh, when you're thinking of KU, you'd think two-point efficiency, and you'd think with, with what they can do with Hunter Dickinson. But TCU obviously does those things pretty well, too. They also for, TCU forces a lot of turnovers. I think KU has the biggest edge, A, and this is going to sound really dumb, with Allen Fieldhouse. Okay. <laughs> okay. And B... I looked at Dewan Harris in a game like this, right? I looked at Dewan Harris in a game like this where if things do start to go a certain way, I think Dewan Harris has to be he has to be the calming factor. He has to be sort of the the reset guy, the guy that okay, you know, hey, let's 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 relax here, let's keep doing our thing. Uh, and then and then Kevin McCuller, obviously, I think Kevin McCuller is a guy that I think is is kind of made for games like this because he will go to the rim and he will, you know, be physical against TCU, and he will try to draw fouls and whatnot. And and I, I like that a little bit from Kevin. I think that could come into play in this matchup as well. So those are kind of the areas I like to. I think, you know, Dewan Harris as a calming force, as a floor general, as a, hey, we're going to we're gonna run our, our style, we're going to run our offense and whatnot, and I think Kevin McCuller as well. Uh, again, normally the answer would be Hunter Dickinson. But again, I'm I have some concerns about TCU trying to run him off the floor and what that's going to look like for him. Sure. I think one area that KU can take advantage, we've seen them do better at it the past couple games, even though on the course of the season they haven't been a lead at it, is been forcing turnovers and steals. TCU, uh, 198th in the country in steal rate offensively, 170th in the country in turnover rate offensively. So uh, KU should be able to get that. And for a team who wants to play fast, if you can slow them down a bit, Maybe they're going to get a little antsy, and maybe that leads to some extra turnovers in this game. I also think Kansas has the advantage in terms of three-point shooting. Um, KU doesn't shoot a super high volume of threes, but they still have been efficient at them overall this season, even though there have been a lot of peaks and valleys games. TCU has not been good at three-point shooting to this point. Uh, by the way, one thing that is interesting, these are two of the best passing teams in the country. We haven't mentioned that yet. Uh, TCU is 18th in the country in assist to field goal made rate. KU's first. So you do have two teams who really share it well. Maybe that yeah. makes it a, a more interesting game, but uh, I, I, it, you know, it could be high tempo. TCU is fourth in the country in average possession length on the offensive uh, side of the court. What is the most interesting player matchup for you? I think it's Hunter Dickinson against Versus whatever. Their centers, yeah, especially against, because you have Uday. Yeah, against whatever, whatever TCU throws out there. Uh, and to your point, I think TCU can can isolate can also uh, be a bit of a chameleon against Hunter Dickinson in the sense that I think they can kind of play however they want to and 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 morph their with the different style of centers that you that they have that you alluded to earlier. They can kind of play maybe however they want against him. They, they can try to run off the floor if they want to try to just body him and get him in, or, and take him away that way. They can do that. Uh, so I think that's the most interesting matchup because. Hunter Dickinson is obviously so valuable to Kansas and what he can do. And if TCU is able to mitigate that, things could get interesting for Kansas a little bit. So that's pretty interesting. I mean, I think Jameer Nelson Jr. I think is an interesting storyline against against DeJuan Harris also. Uh, and Emmanuel Miller is their top scorer, and I would assume he's going to 
Kevin will guard him on defense. Mm-hmm. I, would I don't know. It, it could be, uh, you know, the it, Micah Peavy, who's also a transfer from Texas Tech. And yeah. Bill Self said at the media veil, he was as good as he's seen, kind of grabbing and going transition. Really good defender. He's their, Micah Peavy's their top defender on uh, defensive BPR, for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting matchups, and they got about a lot of the big wings. I think that becomes interesting, too, because if TCU's playing a lot of the big wings, what does that mean for Marco Jackson? on the floor, you know, defensively from that side of the ball because yeah. he's going to be giving up some height. Then again, can he take advantage of that? If he's on a bigger guy who's slower, can he drive by him? Is this another big game for El Marco? You know, do they need it? Uh, for what it's worth, TCU gives up a lot of shots on corner threes and at the rim. The corner threes, Nick Timberlake, Johnny Furphy, uh, Kevin takes a good amount, but that basically yeah, means Kevin to does, me yeah. that Timberlake and or Furphy are going to get shots in the corner from three. Will okay, they make well, them? Let's be honest. Will they make them? How? I mean, what are you expecting Timberlake to play in terms of minutes? I don't know. He was the first player off the bench last game, but it, it didn't matter much, right? I mean, I don't feel... I'm not expecting him to play very much at all, really. You could tell me it's seven. You could tell me it's 15 if he hits a couple threes. I think it'll be less than seven. We'll see. Honest. All right, really so if over, under, if I set it at six and a half, you'd take under? I, I guess I would, yeah, when you put it that I way. I think seven, I'd take over. Seven sounds a lot better than six yeah. and a half, though. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to get some KU audio coming up next. Graham Doran after that. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Jock Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson and excited to bring this guest back on. We had him uh, on several weeks last year as we got closer to the NCAA tournament. Going to try to make it uh, a little more regular here because I've really enjoyed these conversations as we uh, are now officially in the same year as March Madness for this year, about three months away. That's exciting there. Graham Doran joins us now on the show. You can give him a follow at Graham Doran or find his bracketology with GrahamDoran.wordpress.com. Graham, appreciate you hopping on uh, today. Uh, let's just start with KU here locally. Rip the Band-Aid off. I know KU is listed as a one seed right now with your bracketology where do you think the biggest discussion is about where to place all the one seeds and to place KU among those teams in contention for one seeds right now? Well, first off, thank you for having me on. It's exciting to be back on again. Um, I, I will say for Purdue, they're a clear overall number one seed right now. Uh, not only are they 4-0 against Quadrant 1, but they're eight and one against the first two quadrants. So a really impressive resume this early in the year. So I think Purdue's a clear overall one seed. From there, I, that's where it gets a little bit tricky with Houston and Kansas. I have Houston above KU, uh, mainly because Houston's undefeated and they're four and zero against Quadrant One. Those aren't the most impressive Quadrant One victories, uh, but they are number one in both BPI and Ken Palm for efficiency metrics. So I think there's uh, a reason to believe uh, this is a really good team that's undefeated. They just haven't played the hardest schedule yet. And then Kansas, I have at third overall. I think you could argue the Jayhawks should be above Houston. Uh, because they have that Tennessee win on a neutral court. They beat Kentucky in the Champions Classic. And, of course, that big win at Allen Fieldhouse over UConn. Uh, So I think there's an argument for Kansas at two overall, but third overall I think is appropriate at this point. And it's fourth overall where it's starting to get a little bit tricky. I have UConn there right now. But Arizona was so dominant over Colorado last night. They're 4-2 and against Quadrant 1A, which basically means the top of uh, quadrant one, so really the best teams in the country, and I think there's an argument Arizona should replace UConn there, uh, but for right now, I have UConn fourth overall. Well, with UConn being in that discussion, too, 
how much do you think of a boost and a helper that will turn out to be for Kansas come the end of the day that they could have that feather in their cap and, and maybe a possible tiebreaker when things are all said and done for whether it is a final one seed or one of the one seeds or a better, I don't know, seeding location with, with where you're going to get to go. How, how, how important do you think that is going to be? Or uh, when all is said and done, uh, will it not really matter based on if, if either team wins kind of their conference, I guess? I think it will hold a lot of weight. Um, it's unlikely to be a tiebreaker unless they're right next to each other, but uh, it's really the Tennessee neutral court win, the Kentucky neutral court win, and the UConn win at home. Collectively, those are three elite victories. No matter what happens, those are going to continue to stay elite victories, and I think the committee is going to reward the Jayhawks very well uh, for those wins. If you look metrically, Kansas actually doesn't have as great of metrics as I think a lot of people would believe being the number two ranked team in the country. Uh, when it comes to efficiency, they're actually 17th in BPI. They're 15th in Ken Palm. So those are, you know, maybe looking more like a four or a five seed based on efficiency metrics. Um, and their strength of record's pretty good. Fourth overall, they're fifth in Kevin Pugro's uh, KPI resume ranking. So those are very good numbers, but they're not number two. They're not number three. Um, they're actually metrically a little bit worse than you'd think, uh, but it's the quality of the wins being so elite, those wins over Tennessee, Kentucky, and UConn, that I think are really going to push Kansas towards the top of the bracket. Yeah, and I actually was planning on asking you about some of the metric stuff. Uh, d- does that matter at all when you're putting together a bracket, when you're seeding things together in terms of where they are in those, or is it just about the strength of the resume? Um, it's really everything all combined all at once. I know that sounds uh, kind of funny, but it's true. You've got to look at everything. And I think Kansas is a perfect example of metrics kind of get you in the ballpark of where a team should be, but it's really the resume that drives it home. So um, I think for KU, if it wasn't for being uh, kind of, you know, by KU standards, not so impressive in efficiency metrics. If those were, you know, number two and number one in BPI and Ken Palm, I think Kansas would be above a team like Houston, but they're not. So I think it, it does affect the Jayhawks a little bit, um, but mostly uh, what really carries the day is the quality of the wins and losses that a team has. So metrics are important. Um, they get a team kind of in the ballpark of where they're going to be in the bracket. But from there, the committee really looks at who did you play, where did you play, and how did you do. Is it as simple to say with as loaded as the Big 12 is once again and, and having both these schools, Kansas and Houston, that just whoever wins the Big 12 regular season probably gets a one seed? I don't think there's any way the Big 12 regular season champion, if it's an outright champion, is anything but a one seed. Um, and that could be any team. I mean, you could be talking about Baylor surprises and wins the Big 12. If that's the case, that means you've got number one in the net, Houston, number two in the net, BYU, and then you've got, you know, Kansas, Iowa State, all of these other top teams that they beat out for that position. So um, I don't think it matters who wins the Big 12. If you have a regular season champion that wins this thing outright, I think whoever that team is, they will get a one seed. The question for me is whether the Big 12 can land two number one seeds this year, and I think that's very much a possibility. Last year, KU, I guess, broke all the 
net ranking records for like quad one wins and everything. I, I know it's not a system that's been around for overly long, but do you think Kansas or Houston or one of these big 12 teams in that scenario, because of the amount you're going to get to rack up and winning the league, are they going to have a shot to to break through that? Uh, any of these schools, possibly uh, Kansas, even, you know, getting be above and beyond where they were a season ago. I actually don't think so. No, okay. I think the big 12 um, as a whole was stronger last year. What you're seeing this year is uh, a few more teams that aren't quite as strong. So we're getting the UCF, uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, arguably Kansas State, even though uh, I think right now they're a bubble team. Uh, These are teams that are going to drag the Big 12 down a little bit compared to where it usually is. So uh, the schedule actually won't be quite as difficult for KU this year as it was last year. Um, As far as schedules go, I think KU has a very, very important stretch to open up the Big 12 play. Uh, If you look at this wins above bubble metric, which is available on BartTorvik.com, for KU, their first six games of conference play are worth a point value of .49 points or less. So it is entirely possible that KU starts Big 12 play 6-0. and Meanwhile, you've got Houston, five of their first nine games are worth .6 points or more in that metric. So I think the Jayhawks need to open up a two-game lead on Houston by February 3rd when the Jayhawks and Houston play. If the Jayhawks can be up two games at that point, I think they've got a legitimate chance to win the Big 12 outright. If they haven't opened up a two-game lead, that's where it could really uh, be very difficult for the Jayhawks to win an outright Big 12 championship because KU has uh, a really tough end of their season. Seven of their final 10 games are worth uh, 0.54 points or more in that wins above bubble metric. So very tough close of the season for KU, a very easy open to the season for the Jayhawks. You would never get a six-game stretch like that in the Big 12 last year. This year with the uh, struggles of West Virginia, Oklahoma State, UCF, and K-State, that's possible. Um, And I think the Jayhawks really, before that Iowa State game, at worst, they need to be five and one, but probably need to be six and zero oh for a legitimate chance and an outright title. Yeah, that that backs up all we've kind of been talking about this week. When you look at those final ten games, pretty brutal from then on. Do you think it matters much at all this year? I know last year was a big conversation about should Houston have been the second one seed, should Kansas have been the the second one seed, and KU obviously ended up getting the third one. And you know there was all that conversation for a while, and and until Kansas lost in the Big Twelve title, could they even get the number one overall? As far as it pertained to getting Kansas City as a regional this year, the the regionals aren't. I don't know. There's nothing that that's like super close that feels like it would be some gigantic advantage or or difference for KU. Do you think that matters much for the Jayhawks as much this year, the the geographical locations in terms of which one seed they would get if they do get one? Yeah, I don't think it would matter as much. I think Purdue is probably headed to the Midwest uh, with the relative weakness of the Big Ten and the quality of Purdue's resume so far. I think it's very likely Purdue's going to be headed to that overall number one seed in the Midwest region. And then, like you mentioned, I don't know that it matters as much for KU. I think they'd prefer to be in the South region, and there's probably a good chance they could end up in the South region uh, if they win the Big 12. But I, I don't think that's as big of a deal for them as getting Omaha for the first and second rounds. And I think that's very likely that the Jayhawks will end up there. One little caveat on Omaha, Creighton isn't faring so well this year. 
and there's a chance that Creighton could end up as a seven or an eight seed. Mm. Perhaps KU would be a one or a two seed wanting to play in Omaha. If that's the case, Creighton cannot play with the Jayhawks. I think mm. KU could potentially be catching a break, avoiding uh, Creighton in their sub-regional. Okay, that's a nice little tidbit to know. I, I know there's so many moving you know, parts with um, everything that can happen among other conferences and other teams and everything. So it's it's almost an incomplete thing to have to guess and predict what's going to happen. But uh, if you had to guess right now how many Big 12 teams you think end up making it to the NCAA tournament, what number would you kind of give a range to or, or put that at? Uh, if I had to choose an exact number that I think is going to make it, I'd go with eight. Um, and that's just partially because the, the conference is going to beat up on each other. So uh, you'd assume that some of these teams will not make it. Uh, I think if I had to guess, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, K-State, and UCF aren't going to make it. And then you're going to see two of this pack of Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, and Cincinnati make it. Uh, and that will get us to our eight overall. But I think it's more likely the Big 12 gets nine teams than eight, if that's what it comes down to. Could you see a, a few Big 12 teams getting lower seeds than, than maybe they should just because you know they end up 8-10 and 10 or 7-11 and 11 in, in conference play? Or maybe not than they should, but you know that, that the resume, I guess, kind of dictates and they end up getting a 9-10-11 a seed. But realistically, you know maybe they are a top 25 team, a top 20 team on one of these metric sites, and they do have a good run in March. Could, could you see that happening just because of how – I, I guess even though it's not as deep as, as maybe the last couple of years with some of those bottom teams, but still a very deep conference where it's going to be tough for a lot of these teams to win a lot of games. Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely a possibility. I actually think the Big 12 is going to benefit a little bit this year compared to some past years. Now that they have a little bit of a weaker part of the conference to pick on, some of these teams that maybe in past years go 7-11 and 11 in Big 12 play are going to go 9-9. Nine and nine. And I think that will be the difference between getting a tournament bid and not getting a tournament bid or potentially moving from, say, a 9 seed in the bracket to up to like a 7 seed in the bracket. So I actually think having uh, some better overall records in Big 12 play uh, will help some of these teams earn better seeds and make it maybe a little bit less likely uh, that the Big 12 ends up with some more difficult seed paths to get through. At this point in time, still a couple months to go, have there already been any teams that come to mind of, of maybe bubble teams that have maybe caused you, maybe not even bubble teams, just anybody throughout the bracket that have maybe caused you the most headaches so far trying to figure out what on earth should I do with this team because of X or Y? Uh, the first team that comes to mind is a fellow Big 12 team. Iowa State is really difficult to seed right now uh, because they did play in Orlando in an early season uh, tournament, but they didn't fare well down there. They lost a, a couple of games, Texas A&M, lost to Virginia Tech, and Texas A&M, or excuse me, Iowa State, does not have quality wins to back up their resume, uh, and they they basically look metrically like they're an elite efficiency team but a very poor resume-based team. So uh, they are extremely hard to seed uh, because if you look at efficiency, you'd think this is one of the top 10 teams in the country. If you look at their resume, you would think they shouldn't be in the NCAA tournament at all. Uh, right now I've landed on them at an eight seed, uh, but I think Iowa State is a very difficult team to seed. Ole Miss provides the same issue. They've beaten Memphis at home, and they picked up a good win at UCF. 
but Memphis doesn't look like a team that should be headed to the NCAA tournament when you look at their efficiency, but they're undefeated with a couple of quality wins. So uh, those are two teams that have complete opposite profiles and both look to be somewhere in the middle of the bracket right now. I don't want to do a game with you uh, if we're hopefully we're able to get you on, you know, uh, every week here until the, the tournament starts. It's going to be called Pop the Bubble. And uh, what it is, I'm going to give you a couple teams and I'm going to ask you to pick one of the two who, if hypothetically it was down to these two teams for only one of them to make it. I, I think you have both in right now, but as lower seeds. But hypothetically, if it was down to one of these two, which would you take and why? And I find this one very interesting because both teams are teams we are, I guess, very accustomed to not just being in the tournament, but being high seeds and even this year have good records, but that the resume doesn't necessarily dictate them being in that situation. So here are the two teams today, Texas, Gonzaga. If I had to choose, I would take Texas. Um, And the reason why, Gonzaga's had more chances to show themselves as a tournament-worthy team, and they haven't taken advantage of them. Gonzaga is 0-4 when playing tournament-level competition this year, whereas Texas has only had a couple of those games. They're 0-2 against Quadrant 1. So I don't think either team has looked terrific. I mean, Texas even needed the late buzzer beater to beat Louisville on a neutral court. Uh, But I think I would go with the Longhorns merely because they've had less losses, uh, and so they, they haven't shown as much that they're incapable, incapable of winning those games, whereas Gonzaga has shown so far that they're incapable of winning those games. Yeah, very, very interesting. I, I wonder if Gonzaga is going to have to win the WCC. And oh my gosh, could you imagine a world where, where they lose to I don't know St. Mary's or, or somebody in the WCC tournament? They don't make it. Uh, maybe that accelerates the talks of them being like, "Hey, whatever it takes, we need to join the Big Twelve so we can make it to the NCAA tournament." I, I certainly think that'd uh, be very fascinating. Well, Graham, I appreciate the time, man, and uh, hopefully we can get you on again here in the coming weeks and and bring you on as as much as possible before the NCAA tournament. Thanks again. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Nick. All right, that's Graham Doran. Check him out at Graham Doran on Twitter uh, and check out his website with the Bracketology, GrahamDoran.wordpress.com. One hour down, two to go with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches and they'll take it from there it's great for your body and your mind and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care massage envy on 6th street in lawrence and 119th and black bob in Alafa. four o'clock hour we will preview the big 12 season coming up in our next segment we've also got our game picks for the week more ku basketball talk and Bill Self Audio coming throughout the remainder of the show with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on at KLWN. I saw this came down today. The AP Associated Press released their all bowl team. Lawrence Arnold and Luke Grimm both made it. Makes a lot of sense. Both had three touchdown catches. Both had uh, big games. So Doesn't that further the idea well that, deserved. again, I don't mean to reopen this, but... What? What are you going to reopen? What? Shouldn't one of them have been MVP? <laughs> But Derek, the storyline. I know. With Jason Bean. You know? But no, it is you know, I mean I, I don't know. Will we ever reach a point where, where enough people are like, you know what, this is stupid. Quarterbacks always <laughs> win all the awards, so we're gonna 
we're going to boycott that. We're going to vote for other people. I don't know. Maybe we should just start in in all levels of football having a quarterback specific award. You know how they have like like they have Cy Young for pitchers. Sure. Have that for quarterbacks. Have the have the Joe Montana well, award, so the Peyton Manning you know, award, they, the Tom Brady well, award, whatever. They, they kind of have that with college football already. They have the Davey O'Brien award, which sure. is the best quarterback. But then they have the Heisman on top of that, right? Which always goes I think to the they best should pre, they should be preluded or you know, I I think they should be separate. You just give the quarterback their award, then you give a, so an what? award to like the best the, everyone else. <laughs> the quarterback award is like the Joe Montana award. Yeah, or exactly. Tom Brady Award, the I don't know from yeah. a college level you could pick a number of guys, right? Tim Tebow, the yeah, well, like I said they already have the one. Cam Newton. They already have one for for quarterbacks. Yeah, you're right, Davey O'Brien. But yeah, you get the point. I get I, the point. Uh, I don't know. Or again, or we just collectively as a society decide enough is enough. Stop letting quarterbacks well, see, win the award. I, I can understand it from the MVP discussion in the NFL because you're talking about most valuable, right? And just inherently, yeah. the quarterback is more valuable. So I can actually get on board with that more. It does actually bother me more in the Heisman race because there's nothing about the Heisman that, said, that says this goes to the most valuable player in college football. It is the best player in college football, which why is that always the quarterback? It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's really not. I don't there's a difference between value and best. But the problem is... Best gets conflated with whoever is the most successful team. Sure, but like for so instance, that automatically like, eliminates like I, 95 Oh yeah, it's dumb. Of, it's dumb. You know. If if like to put this in layman's terms, like uh, with a video game, you could be a ninety nine overall, and you're the only ninety nine overall. <laughs> okay. And the best quarterback is a ninety four overall. The most valuable player is still the 94 quarterback because of how much the quarterback matters. He is the best quarterback. He's more valuable than the 99 running back or whatever. But okay. the best player is the 99 running back, you know? I, I don't know. Maybe that's just but my if, gripe. if the 94 uh, quarterback's team wins 11 games, he wins the highest. He does. I don't think Although they this always year, should. This year was a little it different. Jaden Daniels that's obviously... Right. Wins it, and I mean he's still a quarterback. But, but if they gave out the Heisman at the end of the season after the the bowl games, it would go to Michael Penix, right? After that performance, and that was one of the yeah. best you know playoff slash title game, whatever you want to call it, performances yeah. we've sure. seen. It was it was yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. So the Chiefs take on the uh, Chargers on Sunday. We never really talked about the Chiefs Bengals game this week. No, we didn't. And uh, because... I mean, we just had a lot of other stuff going on. We didn't have a show on Monday to begin with, so yeah. you know, put us yeah. back and everything. Um, but. I guess going back to the game, do you feel like that game fixed the Chiefs headed into the playoffs? No. Do you feel any better about the Chiefs headed into the playoffs after that game? Not really, no. Why would that be? Well, okay. There's, I mean, I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about the identity of the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. Okay. What would you say has been the Chiefs' identity the last basically six seasons with Mahomes? It has Explosive been offense. score a crap ton yeah. of points, and the defense is not very good, but you're going to win by scoring a lot of points. Mm -hmm. The Chiefs this season, I think, are definitely having an identity crisis <laughs> where now you have an elite defense, okay? And the offense is, like, average to bad, okay? So it's flip-flopped on how the Chiefs are, you would think, how the Chiefs would win games. So I think the real question heading into the playoffs is, and and this is one of maybe one of the positives from the Bengals game is do the Chiefs embrace that basically? Do they say, you know what? Screw the offense. We are a defensive team. That is how we are going to win the Super Bowl this season in 2023 and 2024 is we're going to play to our strength, which is our defense this season. 
and the offense just don't screw it up and score enough mm-hmm. to, and then let the defense do its thing to allow the Chiefs to win games. Okay, To that end, the Chiefs kind of did do that against the Bengals. I mean, they kicked 18 bajillion field goals. Okay, You know what a team that has a good defense would do? Kick 18 bajillion <laughs> field goals. And it worked. They won the game. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm just very curious about that because, like I said, I think I think you can summarize this whole season for the Chiefs as an identity crisis of you were one thing, now all of a sudden this season that one thing has not been very good, but you're winning another you're winning with the defense. But do the, the, the do the Chiefs know how to do that? Do the Chiefs know how to win defensive football games? Yeah. I don't know. I well, mean no, maybe they do. I guess that would be the again, that would be the positive, is that they kinda did it against the Bengals, sort of. But yeah, it is it is a different style of play. It's more about game management. And it's a different mentality. Exactly. It's, it's more about, hey, we're more concerned with not turning the ball over than we are hitting this big play. Yeah. And what the Chiefs have been this year, they they're mistake prone. They they make you know, they have the turnovers. We saw that in the first but half of the Why are they, they mistake prone? Because they still think that they're right. twenty nineteen offense. Exactly. Because in the past, when they make one of those mistakes, they're just like, ah, oh, we'll just get an extra. Yes. You know? And they do. They get it next drive. But that's not the case with this team. So it is, I, I think that's a good way of putting it. And I, I thought in the first half of the game, it still felt like the same Chiefs, did it not? You had the yeah. turnover on the, the home strip sack. That, yeah. Uh, you had, But I will say, the big difference, I thought, was against the Raiders on Christmas Day, you could sense the meltdown. Sure. You could sense the, oh, bleep. Against the Bengals, it didn't feel like there was really any panic. It felt like the Chiefs stayed level-headed. They got down 10 but they stayed level-headed. They didn't. They didn't completely crumble like they did against the Raiders. So I guess that's a positive, also. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I wouldn't quite say I fixed the Chiefs, but it definitely made. I thought it made me feel better. Maybe that's just them winning the game, though. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the big negative on the flip side of kicking all those field goals is you can't score touchdowns, and in the playoffs, you have to get in the red zone and score touchdowns out of the red zone. Otherwise, you are. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess. The Chiefs, I mean, Chiefs fans have known and experienced the pain of Plus losing a game in which you don't give up an offensive yeah, touchdown. Give up five or six field goals. <laughs> it was seven field goals. Was I think. Seven? Yeah. So I, again, I, I kind of go back and forth. I, like I said, overall, it didn't really make me feel that much better. I mean, I still, I mean, you know me, obviously. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a blindly delusional Chiefs fan. So I still feel, I still probably feel quite a bit more optimistic than other people do about the Chiefs heading into the playoffs. Uh, and then I think the real question, which if you want to get into it with the Chargers here, what is, and th- I think this is a very fascinating question that I've kind of grappled with throughout the week. The Chiefs' offense would it do the Chiefs have more to gain? Which I guess they've <clears throat> they've already answered this question because they're, the Mahomes is sitting and everything. But in your mind, hypothetically, mm-hmm. would the Chiefs does the Chiefs' offense have more to gain from starting their starters, or do they have more and, and like? trying to build up more offensive confidence, or do they have more to lose from if they started Mahomes and whatnot and they had a bad game, it would negatively impact them too much. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. That you could kind of lose a little bit of that, I don't know, built up Which obviously, a bit. the Chiefs answered that question on their own by saying, hey, Mahomes isn't going to play all that sure. blah, blah, blah. So. No, I, I think this is the right move because you can't get that by you know, next week. So I, th- I think you just take it now. Maybe the team is a little bit tired of late. That was something they mentioned on the broadcast that the Raiders thought coming into the game uh, you know, on the Christmas Day game. So maybe that does help here. I will say, I, I do think you did see a little bit of, you know, Rashi Rice was very involved in that game. They finally took a deep shot with him for the Bengals. I It felt like they simplified things a little bit more. Now, 
Ideally, I think I would prefer if the simplification did not include MVS. If the simplification of, hey, we're only going to have, you know, these receivers in there and we're just going to run more simple stuff. So and, MVS, real quick. Yeah. MVS has far surpassed Daniel Sorensen in terms of public enemy oh, number yeah. one, right? For sure. Far surpassed him. For sure. I don't know, man. You go back, Daniel Sorensen, remember he gave up a couple long tuds like in the middle of the season at one point and people, people wanted him, you know, but MVS has surpassed that, right? Yeah, because I think the thing all the way along with Daniel Sorensen, there still was, even when he was struggling, it was like, okay, the problem at the end of the day is that you have this guy who should be your like third safety, and that would be fine, who's having to be your best safety based on what was happening or, or something. I, I don't remember what was going on with like Tyron Matthew. Um, and he was basically being thrown into like a starter's role. He was just being overput into what he is. But he was only making like a million dollars per year. You know, he was on like a minimum contract. So it's like, how much can you really expect from that guy? Whereas with MVS, he's making $11 million. Like there should be some expectation of what you're I able mean, to do. If you want to pay me $11 million to drop footballs, I can do that. I mean, I drop footballs for free. I can't catch anything. Well, I, I do think that was at least exciting that you saw that kind of, uh, I guess, advancement for the offseason. It makes you wonder what they can do in the bye week. We know Andy Reid's... You know, record and success coming off the bye week. But Although he's not that's coming kind of off faded a bye week. lately. Yeah, I know. First of all, I know. They I lost mean, like, the Eagles. Extra time. First of all, they lost to the Eagles off the bye. I know. And second of all, Andy Reid's less to coach the game. I know, but like he's not going to. Do you really think they're going to show anything of note in this game? Dude, this is going to be an old vanilla. They're going to be up all kinds of stuff for Blaine Gabbard. Are you kidding no, there's me? There's no chance. They're going to be uh, keeping everything uh, <laughs> under secret and, and under wraps for the first playoff can game. Can Blaine Gabbard beat Easton Stick? Well, I guess that's what's interesting here because the Chiefs are like three-and-a-half-point underdogs against the Chargers. And Blaine Gabbert is bad, I would say. <laughs> but is he worse than Easton Stick? Mm, I would say, I mean. I don't know if he is. I feel like at the very least, they're equal. Okay. And with Blaine Gabbert probably being a little better, right? I mean, certainly he's the more veteran player. Well, I guess I would say this: if you if you have Blaine Gabbert with Andy Reid versus uh, Easton Stick with Kellen Moore, I'm taking Blaine Gabbert with Andy Reid. Sure, right? Yeah. So I I think the Chiefs still could win this game, even though oh, it's a yeah. road game and yeah, for sure, all that stuff. I I am excited to see some of the young players get some run at the very least. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think Justin Ross is the guy that most Chiefs fans are most excited about. Obviously, his season was kind of derailed by uh, some off the field stuff. Uh, but he sounds like he's going to be back and possibly playing. Uh, I don't know. So that's the one that's probably most intriguing. Well, for me, it's Felix Enyudike Uzama, who was your first-round draft pick at the end of the draft, defensive end. He hasn't really played a lot this year for the Chiefs, which I, I think maybe has been a little bit disappointing. Also, part of it does make sense. You have veterans there at, at the defensive line with Mike Dana, George Karloftis now in year two, who's had a really good year, double-digit sacks. Uh, you bring in Charles Omenihu, who sat the first six games. Like You have other guys there. Ideally, you would have liked to see him you know, be so good in practice that they were like, oh, we have to rotate him in more. But, you know, sometimes it takes guys a little bit longer, so it's understandable. He, he's going to get more playing time in this game. I want to see that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to see uh, yeah. some of the young draft picks that maybe haven't had a chance to play as much over the last two years for them, right? All that stuff uh, I think is at least a little bit exciting coming into this game. Do you think they should be playing like Travis Kelsey and and uh, to the the point of letting Kelsey get a thousand yards, I think he's sixteen yards away. Yeah. Letting Rashi Rice break uh, Dwayne Bowe's rookie record for receiving uh, yards. Well, with Rashi Rice, no. Honestly, with if I'm Andy Reid, 
I would pro I would go to Travis Kelsey and I'm saying and I would say, dude, it's your call. Whatever you want to do is cool with me. That's and if I was Andy Reid, that's what I would do. I would say, if you if you don't want to play, don't play. If you want to go out there and get your 16 yards, get your 16 yards, and then you'll be done. Uh, I, I that's what I would do. I would say it's totally your call uh, because I think Travis Kelsey's earned that earned the right to make that decision. And I think uh, you know there was uh, I saw some interesting conversation about this of after Travis Kelsey retires, which potentially could be this season, will he be remembered as? Oh, the tight end who had eight consecutive thousand yard seasons, or will be will he be remembered as the two time Super Bowl champion? Probably the latter. So does the does the whole thousand yard thing really matter that much? Probably not, in terms of like legacy or whatever. So from that standpoint, probably not worth it. He probably shouldn't play. But again, I think if I were Andy Reid, I would say, "Hey, man, it's your call. It's your call." For sure, I I would understand it either way. Uh, to your point, I mean, certainly it'll be one of those things where if he were to get injured, everybody is going to be like, that was the dumbest thing ever you let him play. But I think unless you actually are before the game adamant that he should not play, I don't think you should be allowed to play hindsight 2020 there. So we'll see what he ends up doing. But I mean, the bigger uh, stuff, honestly, this weekend isn't even what happens with the Chiefs game. It's It's kind of yeah. what happens in... Really, the Buffalo Miami game, but yep. also Which what sucks happens that it's on Sunday Night Football because you won't know what the Chiefs are going to do. Yeah, right. Literally, uh, eleven thirty midnight Sunday night. So I think the only way Buffalo can miss the playoffs, I, I think there has to be a couple things happen. Obviously, Buffalo has to lose to Miami. Yeah, it's basically if Buffalo loses, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh has to wins, beat Baltimore, who's and then resting. I think, uh, That's like Houston. What happened? One of the Houston or Colts or something. One of those something has to happen there. Um, basically, though, if this if Buffalo beats Miami, it's as simple as this. Buffalo is going to get the two seed. Miami would be the six seed. And that would be probably about as much of a disaster for the Chiefs as possible from their playoff path. You think so? Yes, because then your six seed is Miami. You beat them in the first round. You're then going at Buffalo. And then if you win that game, you're possibly going at Baltimore. Obviously, things could change because... You know, teams get upset along the way. But still, that is about as brutal of a path as you could ask for. The best path that can possibly happen for the Chiefs is Miami beats Buffalo. Those other things happen, and Buffalo just misses the playoffs altogether, and your sixth seed is either like the Steelers or the Colts or the Texans or something like that. And then your two seed would be Miami, which um, you're playing Miami on the road. I mean, Patrick Holmes won a Super Bowl in that stadium before. That wouldn't necessarily scare me going on the road at Miami. I think that's the best case scenario for the, the the Chiefs, basically just avoiding the Bills altogether. But all that said, I've been saying this all along. Bills are my Super Bowl pick at this point. I'm sticking with it. But what what are the Bills the best at? Losing in the playoffs. So honestly, I'm not even really worried about the Bills. Okay. If the Chiefs had to play the Bills, I think they would win. All right. See if we get there. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk Big 12 Season Preview next. About half past the hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We'll get to our game picks and KU basketball game picks, Rock Chalk Pickahawk, more KU hoops talk, and some Bill Self audio coming the remainder of the show here on RCST. Big 12 season starts up on Saturday. What season? And uh, Big 12 basketball season. It's going to be a loaded conference, a really fun conference 
fun season ahead. So we wanted to preview the conference a little bit with some things that have happened so far over the non-con. The, the first big thing here, I don't know, maybe we should include, if you're looking at Ken Palm ratings like BYU or Baylor in this discussion too, but certainly when you look at the betting odds, there's two favorites, and that was the case coming into the air, two main favorites, Houston and Kansas. Yeah. When, when you're talking about the, the race for the Big 12, those are the two that it comes down to me. And I'll be very interested to see what Houston can do here in year one because you've kind of, uh, you know, uh, with Houston, they are undoubtedly a very good team. I believe they very much could end up being the best team in the country. But it is a big adjustment period to go from playing in the American Athletic Conference where, and we saw this in football this year, right? Like UCF goes 6-6, six and six, BYU yep. goes 5-7, and seven, right? You have yep. all these new schools that struggled a bit in year one. You struggle with the depth of everything. And you look at the AAC, and like I'm going back in their, their schedule last year. Like um, they beat uh, South Florida by 6, who's ranked 145th. That was a home game for them. So they played kind of a, you know, maybe a C game for what yeah, they were no. last year. If you do that in the Big 12 this year, it's a loss. Yeah, it right? comes down to, in the American, you can roll out of bed and play a C-minus game if you're Houston and probably still win, maybe even win somewhat comfortably. And in the Big 12, that will more than likely not be the case on a night-by-night basis. Right. And so that doesn't mean they still can't win the conference, right? Maybe that just means instead of them losing you know, one conference game last year, they lose four this year, right? Which could still be enough to win the conference. I don't know. But that is a big question mark Coming into a year, how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to deal with not just the, I, I don't know, there, there's like a mental grind that comes with it that you're not used to Oh, sure. in some yeah. of the past years. So I think that becomes very interesting. And it feels like, to me, I think Houston is the better team itself, has the better roster than Kansas. But Kansas has the Bill Self factor. Not that Kelvin Sampson isn't a great coach. He is a great coach. But you still have the Bill Self factor. You have the familiarity factor. You have the factor of you just find a way to win the Big 12. That All of that is why Kansas, like you look at FanDuel right now, they're co-betting favorites to win the Big 12, despite the fact that Houston is number one in Ken Palm and Kansas is 15th. Well, yeah, and you look at Houston's schedule. I mean, here, there's, there's some good examples here. Is Houston going to be getting up on the road at Iowa State, at TCU. Those are some of their early conference games. You go later in the schedule, they play at Oklahoma later in the season. They play at Baylor later in the season. They play, you know, even even like an Oklahoma State team at home. Those are the games to me that I would circle and say, okay, that's a team that's definitely worse than you, but is that a game you're going to be turned up for? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yeah, I don't totally know. So I, I think that'll be very, very interesting. Uh, there there are some other good teams, like I said, in the Big 12 that could still win the conference. You look at what BYU has done in the non-con. I'm not buying the fact that they're the fourth best team in the country like Ken Palm. I do think they're probably a top 20 team, though. Baylor has, for my money, the best offense in the country, but they're kind of similar to last year. Not a great defensive team. They've and been they, better defensively. They did though. get blasted by Michigan State. They did, which I think shows what can happen in that situation. Um, when I look at Iowa State, I see a team who's playing really well right now, but... I still have hesitations that they're what they are the last couple of years, which is do really well in the non-con against a bad schedule. Have like a maybe start hot in the Big Twelve, and then yes, just randomly kind of collapse in the middle of play. I will say though, Tamin Lipsy, for my money, he's he's one of my favorite players in the Big Twelve. That that's not on Kansas, so we'll see we'll see what uh, they can kind of do. Oklahoma had a breakout. I don't know. It feels like Texas and TCU maybe down a little bit from where they were last year. Texas Tech, Cincinnati should be. 
UCF even, Kansas State, should be interesting teams to play night in, night out. But I, mean, I, think, I don't think any of those will win the conference. I think TCU should be – I think TCU will end up being about the same what they were last year, probably. Which last year, if you remember, they had to deal with some injuries. They finished 9-9 nine and nine in conference play. I, I could see them being 9-9 nine and nine again in yeah. conference play, but a different way of kind of going about and uh, <laughs> getting there, to say the least. I yeah. think when healthy, last year's TCU team better than this year's, but maybe they just are healthier and it ends up being even a better season. So yeah. I find all that stuff kind of interesting. Now, when you look at the teams who have had the biggest come up from before the season started to where we are now with conference play, who sticks out to you that, that you're kind of looking at and saying, I am fully believing what they kind of put up in the non-con? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of outlined it. The teams that had have had good starts to the season, BYU, Oklahoma, even Iowa State, I guess you could throw TCU in there. And then Texas has those two losses, but they they still look pretty, you know, they're still up there as well. It's really hard to buy any of those teams as being, I mean, like top 10 teams, right? I mean, to me, it feels like Houston and Baylor, or Houston and Kansas and Baylor are your three top legit top 15 teams. And then I think you have this this cluster of teams, BYU, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas, maybe even TCU if you want to throw them in there, that maybe could play up to a top 15 team level in some of their games in the conference, but are they going to be at that level overall? Probably not, right? Uh, and I... I I kind of want to buy BYU a little bit as being like maybe a team that ends up still finishing like 11 and 7, 12 and 6 in the conference, which would probably be good enough for like fourth or fifth in the conference. Might be third. Who knows? Because if they are just shot chuckers, but they make all their shots, <laughs> then that's, that's, that's pretty good. It doesn't matter if you can make shots. That's pretty good. That is a pretty good thing. Yeah, I, I definitely am buying BYU as a very good team. I, I don't know that I'm buying them as a true title uh, contender, certainly. I uh, think Oklahoma is a team that I am kind of buying in, in what they did in the non-con in that. Well, I mean, listen, Porter Mosier was a guy yeah. that was like, oh, if they don't do well this season, he's probably going to get axed. Yeah. And now they've done this. Yeah, and I always thought, I thought that was tough for Porter Mosier because you look at it, Oklahoma was 54th in Ken Palm last year, so not that bad of a team, but they were 15 and 17 because the Big 12 so hard. year before that, they were 30th in Ken Palm, but they were 19 and 16. You know, because it's so hard. So, like, he was kind of one of the victims, I guess, of the Big 12 being so difficult. I think they've got a really good team now. I, I really like that guard pairing. Javion McCullo, yeah. Otega Owe kind of on the wing. And obviously, Oklahoma traditionally has not been a school that has, from a fan base perspective, really embraced basketball, you know, even to the same level that, like, a Texas might if right. they were having success, you know. When I look at KU's first eight games, we talked a lot about this and, and that they have pressure to, to win a lot of those games. The at Iowa State game is obviously the one you circle that they have probably the lowest chance to win. The Oklahoma game at home for me is is probably second. I mean, they've played you tough the past couple of years. They got a good team. So I, I yeah. really do like that team. I'm buying them as like a top 25 team. Uh, who do you has been the biggest letdown so far in the Big 12? Mm, biggest letdown, I think... I mean, West Virginia was picked to be pretty pretty poor, so that's not much of a shocker. I honestly think it's probably Kansas State. Yeah. Uh, which is not really not even necessarily through any fault of them, right? I mean, they had some outstanding circumstances with Naquan Tomlin that was, I think, certainly a distraction off the court probably to a certain extent. 
uh, and how kind of that situation unfolded. But yeah, man, they've. But the thing is, is they've gotten up and gotten. Some, I mean, they beat they beat Villanova at home, but uh, I think they've probably been the most disappointing, right? Uh, and, and again, I mean, maybe that's sort of a little bit of bias in the sense of. Do you almost have to reset your expectations of them without Naquan Tomlin, right? Are we basically putting too much of our previous expectations of them with him on the team versus what they are now? I don't know. But I think it's safe to say that certainly they are a team that maybe people thought could be a sneaky top three or four team in the conference to where now it feels like they'll be lucky to be like in the top six or seven. No, I, I think uh, you're spot on with the Naquan Tomlin stuff because they're not a team who's deep at all. And so when you take no. away And they've also had like that, some other injuries as well. Yeah, it, it has an even bigger ripple effect on them. The one thing that's making me hold out on Kansas State is that last year they were ranked 52nd on Ken Palm going into the Big 12. They had lost to Butler earlier in the year by 12, a Butler team who was not very good last season. And then they ended up getting hot to start Big 12 play. They started 6-1, and one, kind of arrived on the scene and ended up being good. I still like those three kind of guard wings that they have between Tyler Perry, Kaluma, who is the wing there, and Cam Carter. But it is the lack of depth, the lack of somebody inside that, yeah, it has been kind of a letdown. I mean, yeah. West Virginia... Again, it's hard, to be, it's hard for them yeah. to be a letdown because similarly, they had some off-the-court stuff with, right. you know, with how the Bob Huggins situation... And all that stuff. And then Teresa was suspended for a while. And yeah, Raekwon just, Battle hasn't played till the last three yeah, games. It's just, it's just been a, a disaster. I could almost argue Oklahoma State. I mean, this is make or break year for Mike Boynton. Yeah. They lost to Abilene I mean, Christian. You could definitely say they're in a, they were, Mike Boynton and Porter Mosier were in kind of a similar boat heading into this season. To where it's kind of like, okay, like you need to do something. Right. When you thought, okay, year four for Bryce Thompson, you thought, okay, maybe he's ready to take a step. Javon Small, good transfer they brought in, who's actually had a good year so far for them. I, it felt like to me, like uh, with Mike Boynton, he's had some good years in there. Um, he he kind of got, you know, the year that uh, COVID hit, they had a pretty good team. He obviously had the year with Kate Cunningham that, you know, they go to the Big 12 title game and, and then they make the second round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, they've started to fade, though. They went from 34th in the country on Ken Palm 2022, 46th last year, now 94th this year. Feels like, yeah, they're, they're very much trending kind of uh, in the wrong direction. Uh, is there any players that you would feel very confident being like, I think that guy has to be all Big 12 right now, all Big 12 first team? Besides the Kansas guys. Kevin Fuller, Hunter Dickinson <laughs> would be on that list. Besides, besides the Kansas guys. Um, you mentioned Lipsy. He's been really good. I think you look at Houston. They've got a couple guys on their team that I think should definitely probably be in the conversation. Uh, I mean, what about a guy like Emmanuel Miller for TCU? He's, he's been, been really good. He's been really good so far this season. Uh, you look at Oklahoma State, possibly. They possibly Javon Small. A couple guys, you know. Uh, Jacoby Walter, I think, has, has been pretty good for Baylor so far this season. So, those are some of the guys. But, uh, I mean, I, I, know you've, I know you've mentioned this. When The more teams you add, that means the more players you add, which means – it makes this conversation more difficult, and it means there's going to be a lot of players that are probably worthy of being first team that are not going to be on it. Well, I think we're especially, that, if, especially if you're already conceding that you think Kansas is going to have two guys yeah. on first team. It, it really comes into play for me about the guys who, with having those more good players in there, the guys who are maybe on a really good team or are impacting winning at a really high level, but are maybe only averaging like, I don't know, 11 points. Like, okay. I look at, like, BYU, for instance. 
BYU has one dude who's putting up like big point totals per game. Jackson Robinson. Really good shooter, averaging 16 points per game. They have one, two, three, four, five, five guys who are averaging over 10 points per game besides Robinson. So six guys in double figures. And it's like they have one guy averaging 10.2, 5.5, another guy averaging 10.8 points, 5.8 rebounds, 4.8 assists. It's those guys who are putting up like, you know, here's Noah Waterman, 12 points, six and a half rebounds per game. Those guys who are putting up good efficiency on maybe numbers that, you know, if you have 13 points, five rebounds, maybe in a past year you can get on a first team or a second team if your team is that good and you're impacting winning in other ways. This year I don't know if that's going to be the case. Like uh, Jamal Jamal Shedd, for instance, for Houston, he's averaging like nine and a half points per game, five assists, one of the best defensive players in the conference. You could argue to me he's one of the most valuable players in the conference, but I don't know if his numbers is going to get him there. So, yeah, you look at the numbers that Jacoby Walter, Ray J. Dennis, or Jackson Robinson, Kevin McCuller, L.J. Cryer – um, Tamin Lipsy, Tyrese Hunter, like some of these guys, uh, Max Aismas, and the list goes on and on and on, that it's going to be really tough to determine those teams uh, kind of at the end of the season. But yeah. it, it certainly feels like KU's got two great candidates for not just that, but Big 12 Player of the Year with Kevin and Hunter Dickinson. But I also think what that means is with having those more guys, I think it's going to be even harder for like Dewan Harris to get on even like a third team. Oh yeah, or sure. it's going to be harder for KJ Adams to get on well, the third I team. Mean, where in years past, he'd be a, I don't, a home run for that. I, I got to be honest, I don't know that Dewan Harris deserves it at this point, mm-hmm. considering how he's played so far this year. I mean, I don't think he's played up to that level quite yet. Yeah, I think the better one is like KJ. Like last yeah. year, yeah. if KJ puts up the numbers he has right now, he probably is like third team All Big Twelve. Right now, with the current amount of players that they have, you know, might be looking at like an honorable mention at best. It's it's just tough with the uh, number of guys that are out there. We're going to take a time out. We got game picks coming up next. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. It's that time of the week on Rock Chalk Sports Talk for game picks of the biggest games ahead from this weekend. Well, that sounds great. And you know what? It'll be nice having a little extra cash to bet on college football. Right here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Yeah, I'd like to bet 100 bucks. You want to pick a team? No, just take it. Time for our weekly game picks on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. About a quarter till five, we'll get to some more KU basketball talk. And some Bill Self audio coming up in the 5 o'clock hour here. Don't forget, we have high school basketball coming at you tonight with Bishop Seabury against Veritas at 8.30, pregame 8.20 here on KLWN. Nick Springer, Craig Hershiser on the call. You can listen to the uh, KU men's basketball game tomorrow on 105.9 KISS and the KU women's game tomorrow on KLWN. All right, first up for game picks. Uh, you are 10488 and 6 in football. I am 10291 and 5. In college, you are 41 and 42 and 2. You have 4 and 1 last week. I am 3845 and 2. I was 5 and 0 last week. And first up, we have the FCS Championship, which by the way, weird this is being played on a Sunday. Uh is it is it normally on Saturday? During NFL, I I feel like why wouldn't you play it on Saturday? I don't know. I don't know, I don't know when they normally play. They try to interfere with NFL on Sunday. Anyway, well, they have NFL on Saturday too, though. This is the problem. I know, but it's only two games. Uh, and, and the first one's at like three thirty. Played at like noon or something. Yeah. Anyway, I don't, Montana. I don't know when they normally play. Verse South Dakota State minus thirteen and a half for the Jack Bunnies. They're just the Jack Rabbits, aren't they? Yeah, Jack Bunnies. No, Jack Rabbits. Rabbit Bunny. Same no, thing. those are not the same thing. You don't think a rabbit and a bunny are the I same think, thing? No, they're different subsects. No, they are not. They're different. Unbelievable. You're unbelievable. You know what else is unbelievable? Let me put that on a poll. The fact that South Dakota State is only 13 and a half. (laughs) I mean, these boys 
are they, you know you can look at some other some metric sides. I think ESPN's uh, actually SB Plus. If you were to drop South Dakota State into the FBS, they'd be like a top thirty team. They are going to mollywop Montana. Those boys from Montana aren't going to know what hit them. South Dakota State. I am going to take South Dakota State as well. So Montana's kind of been. Montana's kind of been like leaking through some of these games. They've had a lot of close wins. It's been a fun ride for them. Crazy. South Dakota State, meanwhile, do you know how much they've outscored their playoff playoff opponents by? So far? Yeah, it's like one thousand to two. Basically, one twenty three to twelve. <laughs> Give me South Dakota State. They are, like you said, a wagon. FBS championship game. This is on Monday night. Washington against Michigan. Wolverines are giving up four and a half. Uh, yeah, this is tough. This is a tough one. I, I, I'm a, I'm gonna go with Washington. I, I don't know. I think it. I think it should be a pretty good game, to be honest, which I'm excited about. Listen, good offense beats good defense a lot of times, and I think Washington can do that. So I'm gonna go with Washington. Yeah, I'm going Washington too. It's the idea that. I think they'll be able to spread it out and Michigan playing maybe some one-on-one coverage. Uh, you just throw it up and those receivers make catches. I think the undersung thing with Washington, their offensive line won the whatever it is, like the Remington, whatever, whatever the, the offensive line of the year award. That went to Washington. Mm. They have an offensive line that's really good and should wow. be able to handle Michigan actually better than Alabama's offensive line did. And Michael Penix looked so good. I Do think they, they have a guy that can snap advantage. the ball though? Yes, they do. Oh, it's part of winning offensive line of the wow, year. That's, you wow, that's wow. To be able to snap the ball well, that's significant. I think it is a huge advantage. Penix over JJ McCarthy. I'm not a McCarthy guy. I am a Penix guy. I like Washington with the four and a half points. I think at the very least it's close. I would not be surprised if Washington wins the game. What is your wow. uh, lock of the week? You are eight, eight and one in college football locks, dude. Eight, eight and one in locks of the week is just that means so it comes tough. down to this. That's so tough. I'm going to go with the over in the FCS title game, South Dakota State-Montana. It's only 49.5. South Dakota State's going to score 49.5 on their own, I think. <laughs> so, give me the over there. Okay. I'm going to go over 56.5 in the FBS championship game between Washington and Michigan. Especially if you think Washington's going to do well, how many points are they going to need to score to beat Michigan? Probably at the very least high 20s. Well, Michigan's offense isn't – I mean, I don't know. If Michigan's offense isn't – I guess elite of the elite, the, the but they still are more elite like, than you think because they're averaging game, like 40 a game. It could, it could end 31-24 and you lose. It could. My thought is it's 31-28, 34-31. kind of too close I do me. think that Michigan's going to be able to run all over uh, the Washington defense. That is one thing that scares me. Um, but I think both teams are going to be able to score offensively, so I'm going to actually take the over there. On to the NFL, you were four and one last week. You were forty-seven and thirty on the year, and three four and one. Woo! I went two and three last week. I am forty-six, thirty-two and two in the NFL on the year. First up, Houston minus one and five at Indianapolis. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Indianapolis here. Actually, I think uh, Gardner Minshew is going to find a way to get it done. That you know, even though like from a local perspective, the Chiefs game doesn't matter. There's a lot of games this week that definitely could impact playoffs one way or the other for a lot of teams. I think the Colts are going to find a way to get this one done, to be honest. I'm going with I'm going with the Colts. I think the Texans, young quarterback, kind of a young coach, young team, they might be maybe a year away. A year away. The Colts. I have been picking the Colts wrong all season long. doesn't matter if I pick them or pick against them. Okay. Wrong every time. That makes me feel good about my pick. So I'm picking Houston, but do with that information what you will. I just I feel like I've been picking against them all along. 
And now that it's all down to one game, am I really going to take Gardner Minshew over C.J. Stroud? But, you know, that hasn't worked out for me a lot this year, so do with that what you will. Atlanta at New Orleans. Both teams, if they win this game, can still win their division, but they need help with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers losing against the Panthers. Either way, uh, Saints are giving up three points. Yeah, I'm... I don't want to pick this game, to be honest. I mean, this is just a <laughs> – this is the, the toilet bowl, seriously. I'm going to go with the Saints. I mean, they just beat the Bucks last week. Maybe they're riding high. They got some momentum. Meanwhile, the Falcons, Arthur Smith stinks. Uh, they should fire him. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to go with the Saints, man. I don't I don't, I don't know. This is, a, this is a terrible game that I will hopefully spend approximately zero seconds watching on my TV. <laughs> Because uh, I don't want to watch it at all. So I'm not looking forward to it. But I'll go with the Saints. I'm just going Saints. Maybe they found something last week. Whatever. Chicago is at Green Bay. The Packers giving up three. Yeah, you know, I think Chicago, I don't know if they still have a pass to the playoffs or not. Because they're 7-9 and nine right now. If they're 8-9, and nine, I don't know if that would get them in or not. Uh, so, but they've been resurgent, actually. Sneakily. Fortunately, res- they do not play in the NFC South. Sneakily, they've been resurgent. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Packers here because the Packers do have a playoff spot on the line, and I think they'll find a way to get it done. Uh, I'll take uh, I'll take Jordan Love. I'll take I'll take uh, Jordan, Mahomes. Jordan okay. Mahomes. For what it's worth, they are eliminated. Hypothetically, there could be an eight and nine wild card team. Uh, right now, the wild card uh, eight seed is or the seven seed is eight and eight, and there's uh, a couple other eight and eight teams just on the outside. But there's no combination that can get the Bears in apparently, so they are eliminated. I'm going to go with that Green sucks, Bay. Bears. Jordan Love has been playing well. He's late. him. Yeah, 16 touchdowns, one interception over the last, whatever it was, six or seven games. And Green Bay just torments Chicago. I say that continues on. L.A. Rams at San Francisco. The 49ers are giving up four. Oh, yeah. Most exciting matchup of the week. The best matchup of the week. Carson Wentz versus Sam Darnold. I mean, does that not get the juices uh-huh. flowing? I mean, that is awesome. What, a, what an incredible matchup that I personally just cannot wait to sit in front of my couch and watch every single second of this game. And in doing so, I'm picking San Francisco. Sam Darnold has got the way better weapons around him. Uh, I understand the Niners don't have anything to play for, but neither do the Rams, I don't think. So give me Niners. I'm also going to go with San Francisco uh, because I just think Carson Wentz stinks. How about that? And I think I that think in Carson his Wentz system. stinks. I just think. I don't know. In his system, Sam Darnold will actually be good with the Kyle Shanahan offense. Here in San Francisco. Could be. Buffalo minus two and a half at Miami. Yeah, the game of the week, really. The nightcap on Sunday night. Miami's frauds. They don't be good teams. The question becomes, is Buffalo a good team? They've seemed like it recently, but I don't know. Josh, you know, they snuck by against the Patriots. Does that wake them up to say, okay, we got to lock it in here? Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna go with Buffalo. Uh, kind of like we outlined previously uh, earlier in the show. I it, it's better if the Dolphins win for the Chiefs, but I just I just don't see a path to the Dolphins win. So I'm gonna go with Buffalo. I'm going Buffalo. I I keep saying Buffalo. They're going to the Super Bowl. Starts with this. That would right suck. Here. They're winning. That would suck. At Miami. Miami's beat up too. You know their two stud defensive ends are injured. Uh, they just got housed by the Ravens. Give me the Bills. What is your lock of the week? We're in the NFL. You are eight and eight. I'm seven and nine. I'm gonna go back to the well from last week. Arizona Cardinals, baby. They're frisky. Where They're fun. Playing? They're playing the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. Arizona plus three. 
All right, Arizona plus three. I'm just going to double down on the Bills. That's how confident I am wow. on the Bills beating the Dolphins on the road. Buffalo, minus two and a half. Lock it up. Wow. On to college basketball, you are 5-3-2. and two. I am 4-4-2. Four, four, and two. We have a game tonight, top 10 game. Number nine, Illinois at number one, Purdue. The Boilermakers giving up 10 and a half. Obviously, yeah, 10 and a half. Out. Yeah, 10 and a half is quite a bit. Is this their first? Is this Illinois' first game without No, them? it's their second. Yeah, it's either se- it's either second or third game without okay. Shannon. They they housed somebody without him. Some some bad team probably. Uh, let's see. Without him, last game. Oh, it was on Tuesday. Uh, they beat Northwestern, who's you know bubble team. But they beat Northwestern him by third. Almost beat Purdue. Yeah, they beat him by third. Uh, okay, wow. I'm oh, gonna go. They beat Fairleigh Dickinson the game before that. The team who beat Purdue. Wow. They beat them by 33, and so that was also wow. without Terrence Shannon. So that's wow. the real one that they won. Big. Wow. Yeah. That is big. Uh, yeah. No, Fairleigh Dickinson. I mean. You got to watch out for those boys. Ten and a half is a lot of points, but screw it. I'm going with Purdue. Boiler up. I'm going to go with Illinois. I think they're being underrated because no Taron Shannon when clearly they've still played well without him. I think Coleman Hawkins, bit of a matchup issue for Zach Eady because he can stretch it. Uh, although Zach Eady's a matchup issue for everyone on that side of the ball. But anyway, I'll go Illinois. Uh, number eight, North Carolina. And number 16, Clemson. The Tigers are giving up one point. Yeah, I'm not really fully buying into Clemson at this point. Uh, this, this to me seems like North Carolina should be able to get this one done. Uh, so I would probably just go with North Carolina straight up here against Clemson. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know, man. This happens. This I feel bad for Clemson basketball fans, however many of them exist, because Clemson basketball. What? What are you laughing at? How many of them exist? Okay. Well, who knows, man? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but the thing about Clemson basketball is, I feel like this this happens every year, where at one point in the season they get up to like number fifteen in the country, and people are like, "Whoa, wait a second, Clemson basketball," and then they lose. Yeah, North Carolina. I'm going to go Carolina. All right, we got to go quick on these last three. Number 23, Providence at Creighton. The Blue Jays, unranked. They're minus 11. Creighton. I am going Providence. I know. Just uh, lost to, they just lost to Seton Hall. I know. Bryce Hopkins, like, out for the year with torn ACL. That yeah. sucks. I just Providence, Creighton. good defense, top 10 defense. Yeah, Creighton. we're really good at going quick on these. Creighton's been uh, underrated. Okay, Nebraska, number 21, Wisconsin. Nebraska ball. Uh, Wisconsin's minus seven. I will take Wisconsin at home, though. I love that one shooter for Nebraska. That dude's a beast. <laughs> Iowa State at number 11, Oklahoma. Sooners minus two and a half. Boomer Sooner. I'm going to actually go Iowa State here. I, I think they win this one on the road. I, I don't know why. Just gut feeling. All right, that's our game picks. Two hours down, one to go. KU Basketball Game Picks, Rock Chalk, Pick a Hawk, and Bill Self Audio coming up next on KLWN, depending on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and uh, we'll get to some Bill Self Audio coming up later for you in this hour. Uh, we have a quick update for you tonight as uh, we're going to be playing high school basketball, Bishop Seabury against Veritas Christian. That game will now tip off at 7 o'clock. Pre-game will start at 6.50. We'll have it right here for you on KLWN and KLWN.com with Nick Springer and Craig Hershiser on the call. We have KU women's basketball tomorrow on the airwaves here on KLWN. Pre-game 145, tip off at 2 o'clock. We'll be airing men's coverage until women's coverage starts. If you want to hear the entirety of the men's game, you can listen to that on our sister station over at 105.9 KISS. All right, we're going to do Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk and then our KU basketball game picks. Uh, reminder, if you're new to the game, me and Nick are going to go back and forth picking players and you get one point for every point that player scores. You get two points for every rebound and two points for every assist that player has. You get three points for every block. You get three points for every steal that a player has. You do lose one point for every minute that they play. So it adds in some efficiency, right? If you have somebody off the bench who yeah. uh, 
plays efficiently, they might be worth more than somebody who plays a ton of minutes and you know puts up uh, not a ton of counting stats. I am nine and six on the year. Nick is prepared to tell you he is six and seven, but that is inaccurate. He is six and nine. Yeah, we we don't count exhibition games. No, we do, we do because we did them. Mm. So but I am nine exhibition. and six for the team. They're exhibition, but for, for us, us picking they them, they are not exhibition. There's what, nothing. What do you mean that you need to? If practice. it says exhibition on the game, does that not mean that it doesn't count? Why is it an exhibition for us though? Because we need to figure out who we're going to draft. How do we're going to we? draft. There's, there's, there's strategy. We're not doing there's anything. Strategy. They're doing exhibitions. Strategy train involved. Get used to each other. No, there's I, no, no there's it's nothing an exhibition in every it. sense of the this word. Is throwing some names out. Okay, one thing I do want to, uh, I guess, converse about here real quick before we get into picking the players. Okay. One, how many do you want to do? Two, this part probably needs to be answered before we get to the first part. Last year, at some point in Big Twelve play, we started. You were allowed to pick one player on the other team. Yeah. In Big 12 play. Would you like to do that again this year? I never really liked that rule, honestly. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I would be okay with not doing that. Okay. Uh, just because I don't want to pick another player on the opposing team. Because then it feels like I, it's like fantasy. Then I have to root for a guy on another team. I don't you were always that. torn by that. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Okay. Well, that's fine. I don't want to root for another Hawk. guy to have a. Exactly. It's, been it's in the name. Many times. It's yeah. in the title. What happens if they're playing another team who's like the Hawks? That's, that doesn't happen. Name one team that they're going to play. That could be the Hawks. I don't know. See, don't know. exactly. Maybe in the NCAA tournament. I, I don't know. Are there any Hawks out there? There's there's definitely There's got to be a Hawk, right? There's definitely a Hawk. Some type of Hawk. Uh, Skyhawks? Isn't somebody the Skyhawks? Like Tennessee Martin or Chattanooga? I just Googled college basketball Hawks team. Oh, there's uh, St. Joseph's. They're the Hawks. Mm. So if they play St. Joseph's, we can do it. Uh, I, I'm telling you, that's there's a, a Skyhawks. I'm, I'm only seeing St. Joseph. Oh. UT Martin, Skyhawks. Howard College. Howard, the Howard Hawks. Howard no, College. that's not a D1 school. Howard College is not a D1 school? No, you're thinking of Howard. The kid oh. who played in the first round last year, but that was the Bison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Howard, Howard College Howard is College. probably like a D3 school Some or random, something. Yeah, okay, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> do you want to pick four each for this one? Or do you want yeah, to Yeah, I think in? we should probably pick four. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Because the problem is, it's like, KU's only playing eight guys Typically, and if we wanted to pick five each, I think that's kind of an advantage slash disadvantage because KU's not going to get to ten guys. Sure. They might get nine, but then that gives possibly an advantage one way or the other. So I like four each. Four each. I have the first pick this time. Wait, I thought I had the first pick. You had the first pick last time, yes. I don't think that's true. why Wait I have it this time. I think you're trying to screw me here. You I'm had the not. first pick last time, did you not? No, I did not. Are you sure? I'm, yes, 90% sure. We might have to go back and review the review the t- tapes on this one. Okay, I will I feel give like you the first, first pick. pick. No, 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 no. No, I just that, offered no, it to you. No, 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 no. Because no, no, that's different. No, I don't want it then. Unbelievable. <laughs> All right. No, either either I have it rightfully or you're picking first. I'm telling you right now, I will give it to you. I don't want it. But you are complaining about not having it. Yes, because if I'm supposed to have it, then I want it. But I don't want you to just give it to me just because you think that, oh, well, woe is me. Nick deserves no, the first pick. This is why. Because I know if we this happened to be a mistake and you should be going first and then I beat you, you're going to go back and be it doesn't count. <laughs> when I offered you right now the opportunity to have the first pick. But you're not offering it to me. You're not offering it to me as a correction from me having it. I'm offering no. you because you're making me reconsider that no. I don't actually know. No, be, no, I'm no. admitting that it, I, I could be wrong. I, I don't just, know. I just, I'm just demanding transparency. Okay. Well, then I am forcing you. If this is no. what we're going to do, if I have the first pick, you have to right now say that you deserve the first pick for this one. 
No, I don't want the first pick. No, that I de- like you say to me, you deserve the first pick for this one, regardless of what happened in the past drafts. I'm confused. You want me to say that you I deserve it? I want you it? to basically write a contract with your words of and say that you deserve of the all first faults pick. to me. Wait, wait, no, because no. I don't want you to afterwards be able to hold this against me that I may have messed up the order, which I think I is think right, you definitely did mess up the order. Okay, then take the first pick. No, I don't want you to just give it to me. I only want it if it's actually I'm supposed to get it. I'm not doing You're Rock Chuck Bayhawk with you this game. No, 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 no. We're doing it. You pick first. If you're telling me I can pick first, then you're clearing me of all possible faults if the order is wrong. This is not a court of law. Okay. I'm I can't asking, guarantee anything. I will only pick if you if you do this, that. I can't I can't guarantee anything. This is not, you know, this this, this is not law. You know, I'm not a lawyer. No, because you're going to use this against me later. So I just won't pick. We're just going to no, go no, no, straight no. We and play basketball game. No, 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 no. We got to pick. Are you, you going to clear me of any wrongdoing? I just told you I I, I can't guarantee anything. That's not an answer. This is not a court of law. Oh, okay. All right. No, uh, no, no, no. Come on, come on, come on, come on. KU is make minus the pick. eight make and the a half. Pick. No, no. Make the pick. Either you have the first pick or you're clearing me of all wrongdoing. <laughs> okay, so. fine. Whatever. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. Go ahead. Pick first. You're cleared. Whatever. No, that's not an answer. What do you mean? KU no, was minus on. eight and a half against TCU. Uh, TCU obviously plays fast. They're an athletic team. We saw them come into Allen Fieldhouse last year and win by 23 points. Then KU went in, got revenge. One thing we haven't talked about today is the the ball, the stealing of the ball. Do you remember that from last year? Yes. KU or TCU took one of the balls, like the game ball or something. Yeah, I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they did Strange either. Behavior. And then as soon as KU beat TCU, Dewan Harris like made it his sole mission to grab the basketball and stole it. So now I wonder what happens there. They're even, so nothing should happen. You don't think anything will happen? What if it just continues to escalate? Escalate how? I don't know. They take two balls. Well, that's what okay, I'm saying. Are, are they taking more basketballs, or are they you taking know? like? Is it, is, does it escalate into they're taking like one of the chairs off the bench, or like, you know, one of the Gatorade buckets, mm-hmm. or like, you know, the nets? I don't know. Or like, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Ex- you know? es- where? Do, how does it escalate? I think it would actually be kind of funny if it did escalate. <laughs> Eventually, like a team's missing a, a basket. Like, what the heck? Like TCU has it on the plane, or Kansas has it. You know. Dude, they can't fit that on the plane. They could fit a, the the actual the backboard. Like, backboard, yeah. Maybe. Maybe the actual rim. <laughs> Depends how big the plane is. Uh, but yeah, man, eight and a half. That's a lot of points. It, it almost. I think we got to a point like this last year, where when KU was playing, and it would be eight points, nine points, ten points in the Big Twelve. We would just straight up pick the other team because we were like, it's it's Big 12. These are all close games. Eight and a half is too many for anyone. Yeah. Are we there yeah. with this one? Mm, no. You're not? No, because I'm picking Kansas. Okay, you're picking Kansas. Yeah. That's kind of where I am. I just think eight and a half is too many, which is weird because I was actually coming into the day, I, I hadn't seen what the line opened up as, and I was kind of expecting the line to be like six points. And I was getting ready to come in here and be like, okay, the line's going to be like six, six and a half, and I'm going to pound KU. And if I felt that confident with it being six and a half, what's an extra two points? Then again, if my initial thought was the line should be like six and a half, that tells you that I should take the eight and a half because that's too many points. So I am going to take eight and a half, but here's why. In a weird, sick way, 
it's almost it's almost like benefiting Kansas if they don't win in a blowout fashion. From the standpoint of winning in a blowout fashion, hear me out. This is a weird spin that's going not, on in my head. It I'm doesn't actually that. make sense. It's a stupid thing to say, but just hear me out my explanation. To win a blowout game, it's probably a high-tempo game. It's probably a high-scoring game. You score a lot of points. You make it a fast-paced game. But those things favor TCU. They're scoring 25 transition points per game right now. They're the fourth-fastest team in the country by average possession length offensively. They are a great transition team. The way Kansas wins this game is if it is a half-court, grinded-out type of game like they won in Fort Worth. And if it is a half-court, grinded-out type of game with less transition tries, it's probably a closer, lower-scoring game. And so because I think Kansas is going to win, I think that's the strategy for how they have to win. I think eight and a half is too many. Give me TCU. Okay. Now, the over-under is 150.5. Based on what I just said, that tells you where I'm going. I'm going under. What are you taking? Yeah, I'll take the under also. I'll take the under also. I guess 150 is not that many points. Well, it is a lot. Uh, I'll stick under, though. Okay. Give me under. Do you have a favorite prop bet? Well, as we've been discussing, typically I just keep picking Kevin McCuller. But the sports books have finally wisened up <laughs> to my tricks. Kevin McCuller's point total is no longer 14. It's no longer 16. It's no longer 18. It's 20 and a half. Pass. I'm not taking that. Mm. Not taking that at all. What I do like, though, is I do like DeWan Harris' assists. Okay. This feels like a game to me where he he should be the guy dishing it up, making plays and whatnot. So I'm going to go with uh, DeWan Harris over six and a half assists. I think it makes sense. He's averaging 6.9 per game in theory. If you're averaging more than that, you know, why not take it? I, I think there's some uh, good value in that one for sure. I see this one is is hard for me because in theory, I think he's going to have opportunities. But what scares me is something we talked about earlier. What if TCU basically runs Hunter Dickinson off the court? What if they yeah. Yeah. run so fast in transition? What if they are able to use their speed and athleticism to I don't know get him into ball screens offense or uh, for their offense your defense? What if? they're able to get him in foul trouble with the athleticism that they have inside. Those things all scare me, but when you look at where TCU gives up their most shots per game, it's two spots, corner threes and at the rim. What does that mean if it's at the rim? They are giving up a lot of shots to opposing big men. Maybe that means they're also giving up a lot of shots to to guards being able to drive to the rim and get easy buckets. I don't know. Makes me think Hunter Dickinson's going to be very active in this game. His over-under for points, too, is very high. It's 20 and a half. But if, if I keep going back in line with my thought of how this game is going to go, half-court type of game because Kansas needs it to be that way, what does Kansas do if they're in the half-court? They try they to get the ball to inside Hunter, to Hunter Dickinson. Yeah, they throw it to Hunter Dickinson. And I do wonder, there is a part of me with, with based on how TCU, how their personnel is about. You know, uh, we've seen a lot of games lately where teams have double-teamed Hunter Dickinson or where teams have crashed the paint against KU. Because TCU has three big men they feel comfortable going at it with, because they have all these athletes, I wouldn't be surprised if they, at moments and stretches of the game, they're just like, no, we're just going to be fine playing one-on-one for different stretches. Yeah, and just foul Hunter Dickinson. Yeah. 
So I'm going to go Hunter Dickinson over 20 and a half points. Mm. For what it's worth, you are 21, 13, and 1 in game picks. For KU, I'm 23, 11, and 1. So we, we really skip in. Uh, it's your off. fault. It's not my fault. All right, what, what about this? Okay. I will do a quick fire pick a hawk with you right now. But okay. yes. if you are wrong and I am supposed to have the first pick and okay. I win, it counts as two wins for me. Fine. Sure. Whatever. Okay, I'm deal? Sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's not me. First pick for me, Hunter Dickinson. I just told you why. Active I'll, game. I'm going to take Kevin McCuller. All right. Kevin McCuller is your answer there, uh, despite the fact that they have really good wing defenders. We'll see how that impacts it. What is your second right. pick? So I have another, yeah, another pick. Uh, my next pick is going to be KJ Adams. Okay. With my second pick, I will be taking Parker Brown. Got my guy back. You love that guy, man. By the way, the one time you took him, he got negative one, which I find very <laughs> hilarious. Uh, maybe it's a bigger game for him with, with TCU size, athleticism. I don't know. Okay. And then uh, the other guy, I'm going to go Johnny Furphy. Like I said, uh, you get a lot of corner threes against him. Maybe a big game for him. I think he's got to be aggressive uh, rebounding basketball with them being a good rebounding team. I think Furphy has a good game. I'll take El Marco Jackson. And that leaves me with, uh, oh, and then another pick. Uh, do I want Dewan Harris? I feel like I probably should take him. I'll take Dewan Harris. Okay, you're going Dewan Harris. I will go uh, Jamari McDowell with my last pick. I don't know how much he's going to play, but I think lower floor in terms of, or, or lower, I guess lower ceiling, yeah. but I don't I'm know. I'm glad we were floor. able to have a draft. There we go. All right, I'm going to go back and look and see who's supposed to have the first pick, and you're going to be in trouble <laughs> if this uh, went the other way. He's so, the, but if I win, do I get two wins? No, that wasn't part what? of the deal. Why I not? just get two wins if you're wrong because you're the one who made the accusation. He's Nick Springer. I'm it wasn't Derek an Johnson. accusation. It was just a question. This is RCST on KLW and Bill Self Audio next. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.